Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. This is the Brickflix Fryfest preview series 2019. The Brickflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it, and you're done, and it'll be really helpful. Trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the Britflix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type Britflix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time in your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast, Frightfest. 2019 preview series. This episode's guest is Jennifer Reader. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting us to encroach in on a bit of your vacation time to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. No problem. Now, we've not come to talk about when you're working and when you're not. We've come to talk about your film Knives and Skin, which is playing at Frightfest. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes so people can check out uh, tickets and times and stuff. But to entice them to do such a thing. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what Knives and Skin is all about? Sure. And I would also say, I would also uh, just mention that I will be there. So I'll be in London for the, for that screening on Friday, the 23rd, I guess it is doing a, a Q and a, and I'm bringing um, some, some merchandise that I free merchandise to give away at the screening. Um, so I describe um, Knives and Skin as a Midwestern Gothic teen noir Mm-hmm. It takes place in a small American town where right at the beginning, a teenage girl goes missing. And that kind of worry uh, related to her disappearance sort of vibrates through the the citizens of the small town, both the her peers, her young, her teenage peers and uh, their and their parents. Um, and, you know, this kind of vibration sort of splits apart everybody emotionally. Some people break up, some people get together, secrets are revealed, new secrets develop. 
um, it's an ensemble cast. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a really, it's a, it's a film that is kind of genre adjacent. It has horror elements, but I wouldn't describe it as a horror film. It has thriller elements, but I wouldn't describe it fully as a thriller. Uh, people sing, but I don't refer to this film as a, as a musical. Uh, but it is a film that that has a lot to do with um, just sort of uh, uh, coping, you know, the the very mm. personal and idiosyncratic ways that that both um, young people and adults cope with the the reality of our lives. And perhaps even at the end of the day, this is a film about um, female friendship as a survival strategy. Indeed, indeed, it's it's. Um... I've, I've, I've read sort of elsewhere sort of mentions of like Heathers and Days of Confused and but but when I was after I finished watching it one of one of the films that, that struck me sort of tonally and, and 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 I've not seen it for a while but it's what 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 I was sort of reminded of is uh, River's Edge from 86 was a film Absolutely. That, that sprung to mind when I when I finished watching it. Absolutely. And for me, that's more, that's a, that's a, uh, that's, that's really like a dead on reference for me more so than, than, um, than Twin Peaks, for mm. instance. Yeah. So, I mean, not that, I mean, and certainly, uh, you know, there's many, 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 many films that, that, uh, center on a missing or, or a dead teenager, mm. uh, which is in a way why I wanted to take that on. It's such a, a kind of a problematic trope for so many horror and thriller films, so many teen films even. Um, but River's Edge, uh, for me is, yeah, is a, is a, is a dead on reference way more so than Twin Peaks. Cool. Now, before we get into more detail about how you wrote and directed this movie, uh, it's 20, 20th anniversary of Fright Fest that you're showing your film at. And I'm asking everybody to give me a memory from their own 20th year that stands out for them. Yeah, it's a, it was actually a pretty substantial year directly related to my filmmaking. It's the year that I bought my first um, video camera. I was a student in film school, uh, one of the only women in my film program. And even though I was, um, you know, studying cinematography and, and lighting and writing and directing alongside all of my um, male peers, you know, I, I, when it would, when it would come time to divvy out the labor on set, I was, uh, you know, basically a, a production assistant or I would, you know, perhaps like, uh, run the slate or something. And it, I was so frustrated by that, um, by that situation. You know, I just wanted to, I wanted to write my own films and I wanted to direct them or I wanted to, to run the camera, etc. Mm. And so one of my, one of my instructors who was not teaching, you know, the 16 millimeter film class, but was teaching like a video class video using, you know, high eight video cameras said, why don't you just buy a video camera? You know, you can, um, it's like point and shoot technology. You can, it responds, it responds to local light. You can, you know, probably download or not at that point, you couldn't really download software, but there was prosumer, you know, software that you could then be, you know, you could, edit exactly everything that you shot. And so I, I, I scraped up um, $500 and I bought a Nikon, uh, you know, eight millimeter video camera. And that was a total game changer, you know, for me, it was, I, I didn't ever do anything. I didn't ever do anything else. So I really hope that, um, you know, this filmmaking thing works out because I'm not, I'm not good at anything <laughs> else, you know? <laughs> Seems, seems a pivotal point indeed. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so you wrote and directed this movie. Um, 
And so for me, I always like to start, I write myself, I don't direct. So I'm, I'm always fascinated in sort of shining a bit of light on the magic that is behind the screenplay as much as the magic that we end up putting into cameras. Uh, so for you, what was what was your kind of spark that, that, that got you on the road to this becoming Knives and Skin, the movie? Well, it was a visual moment that was partially autobiographical mm-hmm. um, and then and then partially just a kind of invented um, an imagined moment thinking about my own um, adolescence. I grew up in um, in Ohio mm-hmm. um, outside of a city. And so I had this vision of this 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 group of girls, three girls, three teenage girls, um, very kind of goth punk in their attire. Um, walking to school along uh, a rural, uh, like two lane road. And just that sort of, um, that contrast of these kind of misfit girls who live in a small town who either they're not old enough to drive or their family is in a socioeconomic situation, which dictates they only have one car and it belongs to the adult who has the job or they trade the car, etc. cetera. Mm. So I just thought there was, there was like a lot of, kind of built in pathos to, to that visual. And that actually, that scene exists in Knives and Skin right towards the beginning. We're introduced to, um, three of the girls as they walk, as they walk to school along this kind of gravel road through the trees. And they're all really totally, you know, decked out, um, in, you know, expressing themselves very robustly through their, through their clothing and their makeup. Um, and so from there, you know, from that visual, it's it's the way that I often write. It's the the story the story really spiraled out from there. So it started off with looking at these three girls walking to school, and then figuring out, you know, who are these girls? Who are their parents? What is their relationship? What is their history to the to this town? Where is this town? Um, and then you know, uh, because there has to be some sort of moment that kind of propels the story forward. And I've so often made made my short films leading up to to this feature length film deal with coming of age both among adults and teenagers usually with some sort of a dark element and oftentimes it's a it's a missing girl so that kind of you know the sort of missing girl element I've I have used I have used before clearly I have not exhausted my obsession because here she appears again in Knives and Skin (laughs) (laughs) but you know just knowing that I would have these who are these three girls what is their what is their world that they live in it and what is the thing that kind of turns that world upside down and so from there you know that this this the story the story spiraled out from there and it took me a while to figure out how to make a film that has this um this this missing girl at its heart but still would be considered a film about female empowerment you know i mean that was it took me a little while to figure out how to treat the carolyn harper, harper character and once i did then i felt like i was you know ready to make it into an actual into an actual film mm. one, one one of the um one of the lovely things that, that you're able to do, because obviously it's a, it's a visual media, is is the um, is with that stunning image of these three these three young women who have you know are all like expressing themselves in their own unique way, um, and, and and to to see them at a distance, to see them if, if you imagine just being in that in that path or as they approach school or whatever, they look so badass and so confident, and then one when 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 you take them apart or put them in different situations and stuff. We then re- you then reveal their different personalities and their different confidences in certain situations, or even just where they're up to in life. 
and it's a really it's a really stark contrast but it's always it's almost like we're working out them as much as they're working out life for sure and i think that that's actually you know that really is the case with um you know people ask me all the time why do i make so many films about about teenagers and it's because of this exact situation there's a kind of a built-in character arc i mean they're changing every day both emotionally and mentally and 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 physically and they're kind of trying on they're try, trying on different selves you know through their through the music they listen to or through uh you know other activities whether it's sports or you know writing or or being in a band and and certainly they're 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 trying on new skins through through fashion for instance and so that 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 character arc is is just is changing constantly and it just feels like such a great um place to then like build a story around these constantly you know changing humans um and i also like to then write these parallel characters who are their parents who are going through an another kind of a, a coming of age because i i just feel like you know we really don't let let adults um you know, make, make many mistakes, you know, without so much kind of robust scrutiny, you know, and I think that the only way to evolve as humans is if we're allow ourselves to come of age multiple times in our life and not, and not stigmatize it with phrases like midlife crisis. You know, I just think that, um, that we adults, you know, we're allowed to have, we're, we're allowed to have, you know, evolve through multiple coming of ages throughout our lives. It's funny that, isn't it? Because it, 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 I can certainly relate to that directly. I mean, I'm someone, you know, in their 40s who 10 years ago went, I'm going to do this now. And a, f a number of people went, what are you doing that for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like as if I was going to upset them by doing it. You were like, and it is, it is, it is, it's sort of, whereas if you're 19 or 20 and you go, I'm going to be a skier now. People go, oh, great, be a skier. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's like there's a limit on 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 life's chapters to evolve the type the chapter it, in evolution. Oh, it's really true, and so you know, and I and I want to make films about that. I mean, I I am an adult, and I allow myself, um, I, I allow myself uh, mistakes, and I allow myself to learn from those mistakes, and I allow myself, you know, to change, and and especially as a woman, I think there's so many films that uh, like to portray you know, complicated women, but they just don't get it quite complicated enough for me. You know, I really love a difficult, a difficult woman. And, and certainly Knives and Skin is, is full of difficult, is difficult women. But I think I wrote them in a way that they are, that they are, they're complicated enough that, 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 that by the end of the film, you know, you have, I hope a small amount of sympathy for them and you oh. like them perhaps, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, God, I, I... I, I, difficult is kind of is often too much of a pejorative term, isn't it? Certainly, when you talk a difficult man versus a difficult woman, it suddenly becomes pejorative if you say a difficult woman, doesn't it? In in yeah. in a common parlance, I don't mean it's a rule. Um, and I thought I thought it was more. I, I kind of got. I, I watched it with a sense of complicated rather than difficult. Like everybody was complicated, male and male and female. But but obviously, more importantly, given it's the the, the main the main cast that we're we're asked to consider. Um, a women <clears throat> is 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 I had empathy from the get go almost. Mm -hmm. um, Good. And 
And I guess I use that term difficult in the way that it's maybe sort of it's I, maybe I, I, I don't finish the sentence. It should be something like difficult to know or mm. difficult to, to yeah, difficult to know, because I want these women, um, you know, who, who have certainly, you know, emotional the potential for emotional maturity, but they keep they keep a lot inside. And I and I am not sure that we see so many women in film that are so kind of mysterious in terms of their motivation, you know, and I wanted to write these characters whose coping, whose coping uh, skills were very personal and very, very precise because in real life, every, you know, desire is deeply personal and, and the emotions like grief, you know, or our response to trauma is really personal and can be very, very eccentric. So I just wanted to to show that in a film because I also think that it, you know, some of the more physical manifestations of that coping make for good cinema. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess in particular, you've got you've got the two sort of mother characters who who have, for different reasons, quite quite the, I guess, absurd almost um, experiences through the film. But obviously, they are trying to tap into something that they're trying to work out. Yeah. Um, one, one of the, one of the, you, you meant in your, in your sort of summary of it, you talked about it, it, it's got horror things without being horror. It's got thriller things without being a, without being a, a straight down thriller. Um, one of the things that really struck me as, as fascinating was how you tackled what would ordinarily be quite shocking revelations or events. I mean, obviously the, the missing girl aside being the central part of your story, but all the other planets that are spinning off that story. So I'm thinking in particular of the, um, the, 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 the relationship with the teacher and mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil the film, but you know, there's, relationship <laughs> with, there's two, in fact, there's, there's the same girl with the relationship with two different teachers and mm-hmm. how she manages that. And I thought it was one of the most, it's, it's, it's the first time I've seen that kind of, um, well, a lack of empathy from an adult male, in the kind of history, in the shape of the history teacher, and then the lack of self awareness and want to understand, and and the realization that you're in charge of of the uh, substitute teacher, I think he is, isn't he? Um, yeah. And how he responds. But also, what you do is you don't make that into a big hoopla. It doesn't become, you know, police running down and all that kind of stuff. So it's not to say that you've normalized it as such, because that'd be a bad thing, but. The fact is, it's it's normal that it happens. Is what I felt like I was getting from the film, which is not a right. It's not right either. Right, and 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 very truthfully, the 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 situation with the substitute teacher is um, is part of my own uh, autobiography. Mm. Actually, you know, when I was in high school, there was mm. a. It was actually a student teacher. He was uh, finishing up his. Um, his, edu- his, his time at the university. And mm. so he was sent into a high school to sort of do student teaching for something like six weeks. And it was for British literature, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, when everybody got their, their homework folders back, I got mine back, uh, the first time with a very extensive sort of love poem in it that he had written to me. And i I thought he had written one to everyone. I was a very, you know, naive, um, 16 year old, uh, and it didn't take me very long to to realize that it was just for me and that he was this person who was 10 years at least older than I was and, mm. and in, in an authority position who was who was courting me, you know, and I had 
no interest um, in him whatsoever. Uh, and um, I, d I told my mom and she said, well, you know, do you feel threatened? And I said, no, not really. And she said, okay, well, you know, keep me posted. I mean, when I, when I remind her of that, now, you know, she says, oh, you know, I, I'm sure that I would have done more. And I said, no, you, you know, you didn't really. And, and I think that that now we do. We I hope we make more of an effort to um, to protect young people or at the very least to tell people in, in positions like that, that they have no right to indulge in their desires, you know. And so for me, it, it took me a long time. It wasn't until I was an adult. Right. That I thought, gosh, what was that guy thinking? You know, what was what was his end game with this? You know, did he think that we were going to be dating when I was, a, you know, in high school and he was in and he was the, the teacher? Um, I mean, it, it, it's not something that that damaged me. It's just something that I wanted to put in this in this film in particular to say exactly what you had said, that that part of the horror of this film is that young girls you know, live in a culture among so many adults who have no interest in protecting um, their boundaries and have every interest in violating, um, you know, aspects of consent. And they're still children, you know, I mean, even though all of the girls in this film, you know, have, are empowered and they're self-aware, I mean, they're, you know, 15, 16 years old and they, they're just trying to survive, you know, from day to day. And it's these, you know, it's these self-indulgent adults who, um, you know, have, have no interest in, in, in respecting, you know, who they are as, as humans. Um, right. And so I didn't want to make it into this film where it becomes this, this giant issue, but it, it, it just is the fact of that young woman's life. And, you know, we don't know exactly, you know, what she will reveal to her parents. Her parents have no idea what happens to her when she, you know, leaves to go to school. But it did feel important that both of those, but that both of those guys do get called out slightly. So of course, again, not to ruin it, but, you know, instead of delivering her assigned um, sonnet, you know, she sort of delivers another kind of monologue that calls him out. Um, and also with the, you know, with the history teacher, I mean, it's not, and it's not a big dramatic climactic call out but she is saying you know i know i i have been affected by what you're doing and, and you need to you know cut it out it's it's inappropriate the the um the the sort of crestfallen nature of that of that character was so brilliantly done because suddenly it was like all the in that moment all the power had shifted right <laughs> right what was what was your conversation like with the actor who plays the teacher about trying to sort of channel that? Because that's not that's as I mean as it's sort of like you've asked you're asking someone to do the opposite of what they've been. They've been this sort of predatory sort of in charge of the situation person, and suddenly everything that we understand about what they're feeling now it can't be described in words. And yet I could see from the way he performed it, like that was that there is. Crestfallen, there is you outed as a shitty piece of shit. <laughs> right. Well, you know what's interesting about that actor in particular? Um, he had never done, he had never been in a feature film, like a mm. dramatic a dramatic feature film. He is um, like a stand-up comedian. He does, no. yeah, he does comedy and even a lot of improv comedy. And I love working with improv comedians because they really can call up in my opinion, very sort of deep moments like that, you know, very quickly. Like it's, 
everything they need, all their tools are just right under the surface of their skin. And they can kind of read a moment, they can read an audience and shift the, you know, the trajectory of a joke or a story, you know, with such intense, uh, you know, precision. And um, so, you know, we talked through that character and I told him what my own experience was. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I mean, he is a lovely person, um, who, of course, it wasn't, for, wasn't for one minute <laughs> no, question, no, no. question is no, motivation. No, no. <laughs> no, but I think, but I think because I think that, I think that the, the, the comedian in him, you know, was able to, with a real quickness and just through his facial expressions kind of get to that you know, get to that moralizing moment. Um, and he tried to improvise a lot of lines and I wouldn't let them, I wouldn't let him do it. I, I had made him stick to the script, which I think was frustrating, but in that, and so there was a couple of lines that he, that he improvised after that moment when all of the kids run out of the room and, and we cut it because just the, just his kind of facial expression mm. in this hand, in this hand gesture alone were, were enough to, for us to understand that, you know, that his, that, that, that his, he, he's about to unravel very substantially. Now, one, one of the things that, 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 that I think people are going to, because I can't predict this because I'm not, I'm not old people, but your three sort of main sort of female characters, your three, your three main young women is they kind of, a fa a, a, in a world where I kind of don't see tribalism in the way that I saw it when I was, sort of 17, 18, which is like late 80s, early 90s. Um, it was interesting to see you portray something resembling tribalism, even if it's just, you know, the people who do sport, the people who don't do sport, for example. Like the idea between girlfriends that one would, one would frown upon the other one for having a sort of the glad eye for someone who plays, who plays football. Like right. as, as if that's a disease amongst our group. Look, one of us, one of us likes a sport player. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. And I think it's partially it's, you know, I, I think female like female friendship among a young about, among young girls is is um, it's both very simple and straightforward. You know, like they they are a tribe. They have they they protect each other, um, you know, vehemently. But it's also kind of complicated in that sense that, um, you know, perhaps like cliques stay together, you know, so if you are, you know, the, the leader of a, this goth punk band, but you've got a crush on the, on, yeah, on the football player, you know, how, how will that, how could that damage your, you know, your reputation as an outsider, you know, if you do something so bold as to, to, you know, to want to hang out at one of the, uh, one of the football games and to a degree, you know, that's also feels a little bit, a little, a little autobiographical for me. I mean, I was definitely this kind of goth punk girl in high school, but I was also a ballet dancer. So I had this other kind of conservative, um, you know, life and I was a, a swimmer. So I had these, all these kind of, you know, jock friends and sometimes negotiating, you know, negotiating those relationships in the hallway, you know, what, you know, you don't dare be seen talking to another jock or, you know, talking to, uh, you know, one of the kind of preppy, 
preppy girls who's also happens to be in your ballet class outside of school or something Nav- navigating those rules which change and are all unwritten you're just supposed to memorize them on the spot you know can be really complicated um so i wanted to portray you know i wanted to portray some of that and i'm a real sucker for a kind of romeo and juliet um romance especially in teen films and so both the kind of goth girl and her footballer and even the cheerleader you know and her athlete you know both of those relationships are you know uh, are a little um have have some aspects of romeo and, and juliet or a juliet and juliet for instance yeah and and and, and i guess opposite to them is is the world is is the world's shittiest male um <laughs> And, and and I think it's and and it's and I say the world's shitty smell, but actually, you know, having grown up amongst shitty males and probably being a shitty male at some point, I'm not going to pretend, you know, all innocence in in growing up, because um, the the way that young people influence each other as to what you should want, what you should need, what you should have done, what you you know, the way we the way people lie to one another. But he 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 embodies quite a lot, and and in a way. He embodies he embodies the future of where what men become, in some senses too. This idea of I think there's a moment where he's he's not he's not accepting being broken up with, not because someone doesn't love him anymore, but mm-hmm. because he's the he's the captain the fourth what is it the fourth um, yeah it, he's like all, all you know all, all star cha- all star yeah. champion. It's like how could you break, how could you miss nothing break up right. with me, Mister Something? Which is this? I mean, which obviously reinforces the idea that 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 uh, that men grow, men can grow, can can easily be tricked into believing that a woman is a prize, a trophy for him to to show off alongside the prizes that he wins for winning a bloody football game or something. Um, right, it's true, and, and I think that you know he. Um, uh, I feel like that character will. Uh, have some more, you know, hard lessons to learn from and will be a better adult male. I believe that. I mean, it was also really important that he that he gets that he gets called out and held accountable for, um, you know, for his for his bad behavior. Mm. But I but I, I I have hope for him. I do. I have I have hope for him because I have to have hope for um you know, for for men in 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 general, I grew up with three brothers, and I had a this extremely gentle father. I have uh, three sons. I'm just surrounded by men, so I have to, I have to, <laughs> I have, I have to not only have hope, but as a filmmaker, provide provide hope for for all these men. No, no, he felt he felt like a very as much as he was angry and test and, and hormone filled, he also was obviously a very sad character all at the same time. Yeah, and you know, there's something about again. I, I won't sort of give it away, but that's why it was really important that the that Carolyn Harper's mother, uh, you know, sort of um, takes on a kind of a relationship with him um, to the degree to the degree that she does, because it felt really important that we we understand some secrets about him. You know, that he he's he is um, an asshole, undoubtedly. But he he does these little he has these little moves throughout the film that let us know that he has he has uh, you know in a, a deep a deep emotional side and he has secrets and there are things that are happening to him that 
that might motivate his behavior, but that also he also is a child who's being taken to taken advantage of. You know, I mean, it's just I want all this. I mean, people have said there's a lot. I've crammed a lot into this film. I understand it. It's sort of more is more. The next mm. film I'm going to make might be a little um a little less packed with so many narrative threads, at least there'll be fewer characters. Um, but it felt important that each one of these characters has some depth, you know, that we really have, and they have secrets that the audience sees that the other characters don't get to see. But the audience, what's revealed to the audience is just how, how complicated each one of these young people's lives are. And each one of the lives of the adults are. I mean, really the only person who seems to have like a, a a firm like a firm head on his shoulders is the sheriff. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, who also is sort of dealing then we understand with some family drama, but you know he's a. I wanted there to be one, you know, very solid, very likable if not lovable um, male character in this film. Yeah, you know, I, I must I must concur. You 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 just just now you reminded me of the sheriff and, and like his life. You, 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 you. For for what is what starts off as girl goes missing story, and we're, and we're sad about that, and we are looking for her. You bring in a whole load of personal and and family complications that for, for would have been enough for many movies on their own. Um, and the fact they dance around each other and they overlap is obviously the reality of life. <clears throat> and the fact you lack, I mean, the impressive thing more than anything else is the fact you land them. I mean, I don't want to talk about specifics. But we, I felt like we landed in a place which resolved, or at least understood the next the next stage where people were heading. But we'd seen an evolution of some description, and uh, that's one of the one of the things I really enjoyed about it. Now, in addition to that, and you you mentioned it briefly in the beginning, there's some stylistic choices you made which are just um, sort of out the park stuff for me. Um, the uh, the use of sort of a cappella singing. As a, mm-hmm. as a as a vehicle to, I guess I mean on a very simple level, just to show unity. You know, a choir exactly. is a choir is the embodiment of unity, I suppose. Because if you're all working together, you get the choral, don't you? You <coughs> you get that thing, but also your Ab- choice of song. So, absolutely. So I've this is something that I've experimented with in the in the short films that are that have led up to Knives and Skin. Mm. Um, just to to so I've had these moments of of. Uh, you know, a, a girls' choir singing a, an '80s pop song um, as a kind of a lamentation or a lullaby or a eulogy. I mean, there's multiple ways I look at it how the how the songs are arranged. But I knew they could work. You know, I mean, I I uh, those those short films have done quite well, and people have been really struck by the musical moments. So of course, when I knew I was going to make a feature length film, I I had to you know jam it up with lots of um, lots of people singing. Um, and so I, you know, I start off with the songs, trying to figure out what songs would be appropriate. And then, of course, working with with um, with uh, the music, the music supervisors to get the publishing rights to songs. And we did there were some songs that, um, you know, we just couldn't they were too expensive or we couldn't get, you know, anyone on the other end to even just answer an, an email, etc. But I feel super happy with them, um, with all of the songs that we finally chose uh, sadly, one song had to be jettisoned. It just didn't quite work in the scene, which was Culture Club's Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Mm. Which in the original version of that song in itself has so much, you know, 
uh, pathos in it already. Um, but it was a really beautiful version of that song. And so maybe it will end up on the soundtrack eventually, but you're absolutely right in the sense that all of those, all of the singing scenes are meant to suggest that in this world where so many people are making mistakes and, and everything seems so hard and people are sort of falling apart rather than falling together, there is unity, there's synchronicity, there's harmony, there's beauty. I mean, I can't sing at all, but I deeply appreciate, you know, how transformative um, just singing, acapella singing voices mm. can be. And the revelation, uh, an audience's revelation when, for instance, they realize <clears throat> what song they're hearing you know, um, it was it was like a it was like a new layer that you'd laid on the film because I, I I discovered I knew all the songs, but when they first started, mm. I didn't know one of them. And I'm you're, you're, it's almost like you've you've done a, a cleverest trick in the world. You you've kind of you've made us pay attention to your film, then you throw in these bits where you make us pay extra attention. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Again, more more is more. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's fantastic. I mean, the and and, and for, as a personal favorite. Um, your choice of uh, icicle works was uh, was inspired. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that was a song. I mean, those and a lot of that stuff is also autobiographical. I mean, I was a young, uh, you know, I was a young person when you know those those songs came out, and that icicle works song was always a huge, you know, favorite of mine. And so it was a song that I that I knew that I wanted to to use um, in the acapella version and. Uh, maybe because it's a slightly more obscure song than some mm. of the other ones. It was, it was, we could, we, we, we could afford to use the original also. So I really appreciate also so much that, you know, in those end credits, we go from, um, you know, Charlotte singing, you know, her kind of lullaby version of it. And then, you know, we see this little montage of, of, of all of the characters kind of doing their thing there in the middle of the night. And then, you know, we get to, we get to end the film with this, with the original version, which is like such, such has got such an infectious beat, you know? I mean, I really wanted to, to end the film in a way that felt hopeful, you know? Mm. I mean, and that the lyrics of those, of that song, again, has so much, again, so much um, pathos, uh, but the, the song itself is just like such a jam, you know? And so I just wanted to end on that high note. No, no, no. It was again. That's, I guess that's why it kind of felt that the, the sort of almost segueing from a cappella to, to the actual tune was like. I felt like I'd got. I'd earned a little reward at the end of the film. <laughs> right. No. And I'm. And I'm. And you know what? I just realized recently. So you know, I've actually. Um, and it's not even an embarrassing confession, but I've never seen the show Stranger Things. And someone. And one of the the woman Raven Whitley who plays Carolyn Harper just sent me a clip from, I don't know, maybe season two. Mm. And they use that song over the end credits of the, of one of the episodes. And, and, um, you know, I just had to say, okay, well, fine. You know, there's then, uh, you know, I, it's not something that I, that I stole from them or that they stole from me, but somewhere there's, you know, somewhere there's another person who's deeply inspired by that song, which is is fine. But I feel, I feel really happy. Like I said, with, with, um, with all of the songs. And I was surprised when I think it was new orders. Blue Monday was the first one that we got confirmed, which was fantastic. And then they all kind of um, started coming in. And I always knew that, you know, from the very beginning, for instance, our lips are sealed by the go-go's was a song that was, that was in there. Um, 
the the uh, modern English song is has always been you know a huge uh, favorite of mine and mm. and it's it's used in um, this teen film from 1983 called Valley Girl which is um has uh, Nicolas Cage and it was uh, directed by Martha Coolidge and it's a kind of Romeo and Juliet sort of teen story about a, like a, a really preppy girl who lives in the valley who falls in love with Nicolas Cage who's like this total punk kid from Hollywood and in the montage where they're falling in love is is that modern English I'll stop the world and melt with you so I also so I wanted to have this little you know, there's little like secrets in the film also that are these kind of little love letters to to teen films or love letters to, you know, to other films that I that I really love. Um, for, and so, for instance, um, when the woman, the mother who's wearing the tiger shirt is is a very unsuccessfully making a meatloaf. Um, it's uh, for me, it's an it's an ode to um, to Jean Dillman, which is this amazing film by Chantal Ackerman. Uh, so, you know, there's these kind of film references that if, if that no one needs to, to, to get necessarily, but for me as a filmmaker, you know, it feels really important to put little special love letters into, into not just this film, but other films I've done previously that, that really pay some homage to, you know, to the filmmakers who have come before me and, and have, have allowed me to make some kind of particular decisions in, in how I make films. I, I, uh, I must admit not to be too, too uh, trite about it. I love the fact that her T-shirt did glow in the dark. and, uh, mm -hmm. and But I did, I found, I found her, of all the characters, I found her, hers the most sort of, I mean, I guess maybe because I'm probably this, not far off the same age or something, but just watching someone behaving like she did, I found, yeah. her, I found her just so engaging, in, 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 as idiosyncratic as it was, what she was up to. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it didn't. It didn't feel infantile, if that makes sense. Right. No, and that's and that goes back to that sense of, um, you know, the kind of complicated woman. You know, right. I mean, I think, and also, and more, and more particularly, the complicated mother. You mm. know, I think that I think we have an idea of of what women become or what they should become or need to become once they once they are mothers. And you know, there are a lot of a lot of disengaged mothers out there, or a lot of mother, or a lot of women who are very ambivalent about about motherhood. Um, and or motherhood parenting, for instance, just doesn't come so naturally. And, you know, the way that we don't, I think, allow that, you know, we just don't really allow that to, to happen. There's so much sort of scrutiny, both, well, in, in real life, but also um, so many cinematic mothers are just these kind of dopey, you know, wet blankets. I mean, it's, it's just... Um, it's uninteresting to me, both as a filmmaker, as a woman, and certainly as a as a mother. And you know, so that and that character in particular is is, is played by uh, a woman named Audrey Francis, who is a a very very you know deeply respected dramatic theater actress here in mm. Chicago. She's an ensemble member with the Steppenwolf <coughs> Theater, um, which is which is a very prestigious um, theater here in Chicago. And she's a, she's a dramatic actress, um, you know, and, and when, and I think that, well, and I think that her character in this, it's not, I mean, she's got some, she's such a tough, she's such a tough cookie, you know, and I think that, that a different actor might not have been able to ground that character in such a, with the, that performance, you know, I think that what makes that character um, compelling and and as you say not infantile is is Audrey's performance that really grounds it. Yeah, because in a sense it, it makes you think of uh, and it, it, it 
I, I kind of only thought of this since we've had this conversation, but looking looking back at her now, what you've said, it's if if she was nineteen, she'd be on a gap year now, fucking around and discovering who she is. But obviously, she's now she's maybe doing that now, but in the confines of a home. Whereas others might look and go, "Oh God, there's a there's a woman with issues. Don't 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 talk to her." But actually, you can kind of again a bit like what you were saying about hope for the the, the shitty book, the shitty kid that it'll become <laughs> better in the future. In a sense, she's not a lost case either. In the sense of what she's going to work out, she'll hopefully spin out to the side, and then there's hope for her as well. Absolutely, and it felt really important. It felt important that she that that and and I won't try and spoil this either, but mm. that she, you know, that I wanted to pr- portray a character who's who's being mothered by her child. You know mm. that that the child, which I think is very very common. You know, I think a lot of young people who have sort of despondent or emotionally needful parents end up kind of parenting their their parents. You know, before. Uh, you know, well before they need to be. I mean, I, I certainly am right now taking, taking care of my 88 year old year old mother, but she's 88 and she's still in very good health, but I don't mind, you know, bringing her coffee and toast in the morning. Um, But to be 15 and 16 and being kind of the, the parent to your parent is also a, a kind of form of child abuse in a way. So I knew that that mother you know, somebody had to tell that mother to get her shit together and and do it right now and do it unapologetically um, and 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 step up to the challenge of your life. But I didn't think that it could be another, let's say, human character in the film. Mm. So, yeah, she, she gets a very particular she gets particular and pointed advice from a very particular um, character in the film. And it's what it's actually my favorite scene in the film. Indeed. No, no, no. I was uh, <laughs> orange pine. Um, so I, I, we could talk forever, and I and I realise time is 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 not going to let us do that. But I want to ask just one more question because just from a kind of for the filmmakers listening, you made a really really interesting creative choice uh, for the whispering scene, mm-hmm. um, which I just thought was just it's just a beautiful way of pulling it off. Where um, there's, I mean, it, it's sort of interspliced with a choir singing, but it was it was such a visual a sort of visual way of, I guess, getting all that sort of, what do you call it, uh, getting all that laundry out, I suppose, that, 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 that was all, everyone's in one room, which shouldn't work, shouldn't feel variable, but because of what's going on, my centuries are overloaded, and then you're giving us little subtitles. It was such a magical way of, of, of bringing us up to date with everybody we're concerned with, in, in the main sense. Right, no, exactly. And, and again, that, that kind of... Um... I've used a, a similar technique before where I'm kind of presenting like the secret language of teenage girls mm-hmm. and this kind of these interior dialogues. Um, and I've, so I've used that in different, in different ways. I've used that kind of method before. And I, so again, I knew it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this one, it just felt really important that at some point the audience understands again, as a kind of secret just to them that these girls are deeply affected by the dis- disappearance of their friend hmm. and they are deeply affected by everything else that's going on in their lives. And even though they kind of act so cool to each other and to their parents, um, they are deeply affected by what's going on around them. And so it, it felt like the best moment to do that was some somewhere around three quarters of the way through the film while they were singing, you know, this really beautiful um, version of uh, blue Monday hmm. Um, 
and they're they're sharing these secrets with each other that reveal that they have worry. Um, they reveal that um, they they are thinking about their own death. You know, I mean, they have it's it's a little you know these secrets that are really about their response to what's happening around them. And um, you know, when I asked my producers uh, if I could make the subtitles pink, I mean, I really thought that they would say absolutely not. You know, this needs <laughs> this 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 needs to be a really straightforward moment. They we need to be able to read the subtitles. And, you know, they said, like, yeah, let's see what it looks like, because I really I loved that moment. I mean, as you know, the whole film is kind of bathed in like magenta and a kind of bubblegum pink and violet purples. I mean, I wanted the whole film to really feel like it was kind of vibrating sort of femininity, you mm -hmm. know, or sort of vibrating this kind of femme energy, let's say. Mm -hmm. So it felt it felt really important to be able to suggest that you know, the whispers of teenage girls are bubblegum pink, you know? Mm. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a miss to say, because given we've talked about the, the, the young women and the sort of the mothers who are kind of quasi, now not got teenage kids who don't have the same responsibility as they once had, but you've also got one of the most kick-ass grandma characters as well in this, yes. in this film it's and, and in a sense again thinking now of our conversation we've had about your film like she she is like rep, i guess she's representative of of all knowledge because she's lived a life she knows that it's 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 here and gone tomorrow so who gives a shit right yeah no she's a really i love that actress marilyn dodds frank mm. she's really a fantastic again she's based in chicago and um as all of them, we cast it all out of Chicago. Those are all amazing Chicago actors. Hmm. But um, yeah, I wanted that to have that. Um, yeah, I wanted to have that kind of the 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 wise adult, you know, who 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 does who kind of sees it all from a distance, um, but is also having another kind of. Um, she's totally allowing herself all sorts of coming of age, right? She, we understand that she's um, sort of constantly on the prowl for. Um, you know, some grass as she, mm. as she calls it. And she's uh, taking on a new gig as a, as a model for the art school. You know, she's like living her best life, <laughs> but she's also able to have that moment with her granddaughter in the, in the van, you know, where, you know, she, she says, you're, you'll survive this, you know? And I yeah. think that that, that that felt like, I didn't want it to be like overly determined or too, you know, melodramatic, but I also just thought that I wanted to have, you know, that moment in the in the film where where, you know, an adult who isn't the direct parent of one of the teenagers acknowledges that it's it's just a total shit show, you know, at the moment. But it, it but it will get better because I think that that's actually really important advice for us to give each other. It's not it's not too simple. And it's not just this kind of slogan that you could put on a magnet on a refrigerator, you know, this idea of like, you know, that it, it, it does get better that life that life evolves, I think is actually, you know, the kind of only message that we need. And it's something honestly, you know, in right now with with everything that's happening in the US, it's something I just have to wake up and tell myself every day, it will get better. It will get better. Yeah, it is. All, it is all part of a general upward curve. We sh we are progressing. This might be a moment of regression. But yeah. <clears throat> yeah and, I, and like I said, I wanted the film 
you know, sort of going back to the, you know, the high school work song at the end credit and even the way that that little montage at the end kind of wraps up all of the characters, um, you know, wraps up all their all their stories. I just wanted this film also to be hopeful, you know, at the um, at the end. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it has a happy ending, but I would say that there's a that there's a hopeful open ending, which felt really important to me because it certainly starts off in a very kind of low moment and perhaps an audience would at any moment during the film watching some one of those characters unravel would not be able to predict how that character could ever you know survive what's happening in their lives but they but they all do and they they all will and i also wanted to point out in terms of the music that i really feel so um like I feel totally obsessed actually with the with the with the score that um that that Nick Zinner made. So Nick Zinner, who's the guitarist for the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, did the composed the original score. And I really yeah, I love the I love the music that he made. I think that all of that kind of it's sort of synthy it's got some synthy eighties kind of Vangela's tangerine dream, but still, you know, totally his own and totally unique. Um and I think it really mimics the way that the that the neon lights of the film kind of vibrate with emotion well look uh i'd like to just thank you for uh giving us your time on the podcast it's been more than illuminating because i had such a great time watching your movie and this has been a privilege to sort of be able to break it break it down a little bit more with yourself but obviously hopefully not spoil it too much um i uh congratulations on the film and, and look forward to hopefully shaking hands and saying hello when you're when you're in london yeah that would be lovely i have this was it was really really great talking to you and yeah i'm so much looking forward to to bringing this uh bringing knives and skin to london for fright fest the Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free if you want to help me get the podcast out to more people please take a moment to leave a review on itunes or if you want to help me out directly there's a link in the show notes to my patreon page all contributions are welcome and the music is by chris reed of thecomposers.tv y'all Darius Rucker here you know a lot of people ask me what inspires your music and one of the big things is a strong sense of place that's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer from the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast it's got it all not to mention two of my personal favorites great golf and amazing food come see why I love this place visit discoversouthcarolina.com Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.